Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today I have the immense pleasure of talking with Dr. Zachary Moore, whose podcast, Evolution 101, provides independent science information to uh, many, many listeners by the sound of things. Dr. Zach, for people not familiar with your podcast and your work, can you please give some discussion to your background? Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a Ph.D. in pathobiology and molecular medicine, which basically means that I study um, human disease. Uh, I study the, the genes and the proteins and the molecules that uh, contribute to human disease. I have been interested in evolution uh, pretty much since uh, I started in college, and I haven't really been active in it, though, until about a year ago. And it was in November of last year that uh, on the Infidel Guy website, infidelguy.com, uh, the, the, the webmaster there, uh, Reggie Finley, conceived of uh, a, a webcast to complement his own that would look uh, specifically at evolution. And I was involved in some of the beginning uh, stages of that project, which uh, had two episodes and then sort of faltered after that. Um, and I sort of took it upon myself with uh, some strong encouragement from uh, Reggie and others at his website to develop a weekly podcast uh, that would replace that original show. So the podcast can be found at my website, uh, net. that's D-R-Z-A-C-H. It's also on iTunes, uh, just type in Evolution and it's the first one that pops up. And you can probably find it on a number of other um, podcast uh, hosting websites right now. One of the things I find fascinating about your podcast is the discussion that you are providing, in some regard, restorative education. Can you talk a little bit about that and the power of podcasting in doing this? Yeah, you know, it's it, in this country, in America, it, it depends where you go. Uh, some school districts have really good education as far as science goes. Most don't. Um, mine was really poor, quite actually, and that's that's one of the problems with the inability of most Americans to really grasp what science is um, and how it works. Um, usually, what happens is students, you know, just sort of go through and do rote memorization. And they're really not investigating things when they conduct experiments. They're just really copycatting what their teacher is doing uh, on their bench. And if something goes wrong, well, it's you know, just because they made a mistake, and it, you know, they don't allow themselves the uh, the flexibility and the curiosity to really investigate. You know, to really ask questions. Uh, so they're they're really not carrying out experiments, unfortunately. And and even even uh, the ones that are in those science classrooms, uh, most of them are not. Science is uh, is usually last on the list behind uh, you know, literature, mathematics, languages. Uh, social sciences it's you know just one step above art and music on the uh, on the priority list and it's, it's always the last thing to to get checked and to um, to get tested to see how well people are actually doing science and so there are a lot of people out there that really don't know what evolution is and it, it's very evident uh, in the, the in the popular evolution creation debate People out there advocating for creationism have had a lot of success 
primarily because they've been using uh, pseudoscientific arguments that the average person just isn't familiar with. They, they don't know how to distinguish that from actual science. And so what I try to do with my podcast is to explain what the actual science is in as simple of a language as I can muster. I usually use a lot of analogies and metaphors to try to make things approachable by the average layperson. And so far, I've well, I've, I've been successful, I guess. I haven't really received too many complaints. Most people are very happy to have have heard it, and uh, there are plenty of questions coming in every day about how evolution works, so I'm, I'm pretty busy with it. One of the curious things with your podcast is that you offer a genetic mapping service. Now, my wife has a theory that I'm, rather than being descended from ape, I'm descended from wolf or bear. Is it possible for my wife to send you a pint of my blood in a Coke bottle, and will you be able to confirm this view? Uh, yeah, I could... Uh... <laughs> I could do that uh, without much problem, actually. It's not as difficult as you might think. Um, what I do is actually, uh, because my, my background, my professional background is in molecular biology, um, I am most interested in the molecular evidence for evolution, of which there is um, a great deal, and it's actually even more convincing than the fossil evidence, which is itself substantial. And... Uh, over the past five years, uh, since the publication of the human genome, the genomes of a number of other species uh, have been uh, sequenced and are also published, and they're available online on the Internet. Uh, anybody can access them. You can. And I'm, I've been working on, uh, for a little while, on uh, developing a tutorial to teach people who come to my website how to do it for themselves. Uh, but until then, uh, anybody who would like to see uh, the comparison of a human gene with any other species that is published, that's only about uh, 20 minutes of work, and I, I'm happy to do that for anybody that would like to see um, exactly how the, the sequences, the base pairs themselves, stack up uh, from one species to the next. And I've done that already for um, three or four different genes that's published on my website. If you click on the little chalkboard up in the right-hand corner, you can see some examples of those. And by lining up the sequences, uh, between the different species, you can actually construct a cladogram that shows which species are more related to uh, the other species. And uh, without fail, the, uh, the phylogenetic relationships uh, are exactly what are predicted by the fossil evidence and by phylogenetic evidence. And so it's, it's a really great you know, confirmation. And what's, what's really nice is that, that you can do it with just about any gene. You know, so just uh, send me a gene, and uh, I will go ahead and blast it for you and, and post it on my website. But there's, uh, there's several there already if you want to look at them. I know Google Video recently posted Richard Dawkins' Root of All Evil two-episode documentary. I know you go into churches or you go into a church and talk about science. Can you talk a bit about Richard Dawkins' Root of All Evil and the methods that you use in, in talking to people of faith about science? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm actually, I'm a former Christian. I was a Christian, I was brought up as a Christian, and I became an atheist um, a few years ago. Uh, it was a slow apostasy. Um, I actually was, uh, I had no problem with evolution uh, while I was a Christian, and most, many Christians um, don't have problems either. In fact, the official position of the Catholic Church 
is that there is there is no problem uh, with evolution and religion. And there's a very popular um, evolution advocate in America named Ken Miller, who is a professor at Brown University, who's written a book called Finding Darwin's God, uh, which is a great explanation of evolutionary theory, better than I could do. Um, and he also provides, uh, although I don't agree with him, obviously, being an atheist, but he does provide uh, a method by which um, a, a Christian could maintain his faith and also accept evolution at the same time. So, yeah, I do, uh, I, I do visit a church. Um, it's a Southern Baptist church. I, I'm down here in Dallas, Texas, so um, a lot of Southern Baptist churches down here. There is an interesting class that's being taught called Faith and Reason that has invited atheists in to talk. Uh, not myself. I'm, I'm just sort of a, uh, a visitor, a weekly visitor that's, that's there and, and interacting and asking questions sometimes. But they look at, at things that uh, most Christians don't, especially in a church setting. They look at atheism, evolution, uh, homosexuality, and other things uh, that uh, most Christians aren't really taught um, as, as part of their faith. And what I do is I just sort of ask questions about, you know, where the intersection of faith and science exists for them. And I think, uh, from, from my discussions, I, I, I don't think that there is a fundamental problem with the two. But for most people, I believe, at least in America, where, um, where faith is king, really, in America, um, people just love to have faith. They love to believe. Americans tend to be very credulous people. Um, and a part of that is the belief that in order to be a good person, in order to be a moral person, one has to have some sort of a religious belief. And uh, I actually had um, a woman I was sitting next to say that uh, almost exact same thing uh, last week when I was there. She was talking about why she came to church, why she had chosen that church, because she felt that it taught her how to be a good moral person. And I think that is a very important thing that we have to take into account um, because so many people have morality wrapped up in their faith positions and that gets in the, that gets in the way of their acceptance of evolutionary theory because they see evolution as long as their religious leaders are speaking against it. They see that as uh, something that is antithetical to what they base their morality on. And so I think that if, for me as an atheist, not necessarily as a scientist, um, but others in the atheist community like Richard Dawkins, who um, have are very good at pointing out the immorality of religion, um, I think that's only doing half the work. I think what needs to be done after that is to establish, you know, a, a good objective uh, system of morality, which can be done. Uh, some people don't think it can be. Uh, some atheists don't think it can be. But I'm, I'm of the strong opinion that it can be done. And offer that as an alternative, uh, a secular alternative uh, to morality, to religious morality. And once that can be done, then you've got this moral um, blockade just sort of you know, fades into nothing. And there's no reason, there's no moral reason for them not to accept uh, science and, and 
uh, not to be skeptical about um, creationism and things like that. So I think that's that's the, the second half of the job that uh, that really needs to be done if we're to um, sort of win the minds of the general populace, at least in America. You spoke recently on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast, and I've certainly found with that podcast that there is a confrontational element that mirrors contemporary scepticism very well. I think it's a, a very good podcast if you want a, a kind of 411 on what scepticism is. Can you talk a little bit about scepticism and science and whether science in the U.S. can exist without scepticism? Oh, uh, absolutely. Scepticism is, is key to the scientific process. I mean, as, uh, as a practicing scientist, I mean, that is, that is what I deal with on a daily basis. And it's not, it's not really um, mean-spirited. It's just, it's necessary to the process. Everybody, uh, if, if everybody in science accepted everything every, everyone else said, you know, we would have all kinds of papers published that could not be replicated in any way and would be um, completely meaningless as far as, you know, giving us anything, any new discoveries, uh, any big breakthroughs. Science has to be skeptical. You've got, you, you have to um, vault over a huge burden of proof to get anything published in even the, the smallest journals, which is a good thing, you know. Uh, it really does make, it, 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 it keeps that skepticism in the back of my mind at all times uh, when I'm doing experiments, um, because I want to construct my experiments in such a way that it is crystal clear that the, whatever the conclusions are, will support either one hypothesis or another. And I have to keep the same thing in mind whenever I'm writing up a paper, so that what I'm writing is unambiguous. And uh, whatever problems uh, a reviewer might have or a publisher might have would be you know, strictly on things that are sort of uh, peripheral to the work that I've actually done. And the skeptical movement in this country... Um, I've kind of gotten on that um, just recently, and it's a really fascinating group of people, a um, really great group of people, and you, you find that they are almost always uh, the same people uh, on, you know, the, on the different days that are out there advocating for evolution. Um, in fact, on, uh, on the Skeptic's Guide, uh, Dr. Novella and the rest of them refer to creationism as evolution denial which uh, <laughs> I thought was a, a very interesting way to characterize that in a sort of skeptic lingo. And it is, it is a really important movement, but as I said before, America is a very credulous nation, and so the movement right now is small. It is getting larger, I think. By and large, um, the people in this country are starting to become a little bit more critical about the way they think, and... It will get more popular eventually, but it's it's going to have a tough road ahead. It's it's going to be uh, a small minority for a long time, I think. Now, you're not an artificial life developer. You're not an artificial life philosopher, which makes you, well, the first of this kind in this podcast in particular. <laughs> what more, or more importantly, what would you like to see from the artificial life community? Well, I'm not I'm not too familiar with with that community, but. I did 
uh, I did download and play with the program Gene Pool, um, and you had the the creator on on, on your podcast several weeks ago. Um, that is a wonderful program, and I had so much fun with that. Uh, and it was it's a really great tool, also uh, educational tool um, to learn about evolution, to teach others about evolution. And so I would just say more of that. You know, bring on. We need, you know, we need people writing programs like that more and more. And, you know, as as the techniques get more sophisticated, you know, more sophisticated programs. You know, I'd, I'd love to see things, um, I'd love to develop evolutionary organisms that can walk around instead of just swimming in, in, a, in a pool. You know, just more of that, basically. That's, that that uh, is a really great example of, of something good that's come out of the artificial life community. And I would just love to see more of that absolutely any final thoughts for the interview but the main thing that the main thrust that I that I have is just explaining in simple words um, science and it, 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 this isn't just for evolution this you know this is for all of science because I think people are by and large unaware of a lot of things um, in science and the the need to maybe Things like my podcast are, are making up for the fact that most people either don't have a, a, a good chance to learn science when they are students, or you know they just never really paid attention. Um, but I think I think the desire to learn is out there, and it's it's sort of simmering under the surface. And so you know anybody else, anybody out there that that wants to do more podcasts like mine, like like uh, the Big Bang Creationism podcast and the Skeptic's Guide podcast, you know, get on it. Just do it. It's so easy. Thank you very much for the opportunity to interview you. Thank you very much, Tom.